This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I'm ready to party. Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Magic myth on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. This is going to be a really heavy episode, isn't it? Yeah, but then you get to go out and get a drink after this. I do. I get to be designated driver. (laughs) The enthusiasm in your voice? Yeah, because it's usually the other way around. (laughs) I get to have a drink. (laughs) You're designated driver. Yes, but not this this time. No, no. But we might as well get started. So, hello, this Hi. is the... Um, it's Film Her Movie Podcast. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one. God, it would record them very early this morning, so I don't think my head's fat actually clicked in. It's 8.45. Yeah. Bang on schedule. Yes, yes. So, yeah, hello, welcome. Yep. We are the podcast that takes a subject or theme, picks two movies and discusses it. Yes. And we are also one of the podcasts of Pod Syndicate. Big hat podcast family. Yes. So, as always, if you want to find any more shows for your film, TV, pop culture, or beer, um, go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and we will. <laughs> Sorry, that... <laughs> now, now, now our cat's just crying for no apparent reason. She sees birds. Yes. It's spring. <laughs> See, it's spring. There's birds everywhere. She's finally just lost it. Yes. So yeah, if you want to go see some more, well, if you want to go listen to some more great shows, go over to Pod Syndicate and follow those there, um, and go on the website. Lots of nice articles and other nice stuff. My yeah. head, my head really hasn't clicked in this morning. At Have all. you had a coffee yet? No. I've had juice and I've had. Knock off Cheerios, my hair's done, my makeup's done, I am dressed, I am ready for the day. God, you win. I win. You really do win. I think my head's still about three three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but no, let's go. Get in high energy. So what are we doing this week? This week we are doing, we're doing quite, quite difficult films. We are doing films that ask difficult questions. It's the Moral Dilemma movie. Yes. So we've got two they're quite heavy hitting films. Like yeah. I tend to like kind of lighter, nicer films. And I feel like the film that I have picked possibly could be seen as that if you weren't looking at it from a moral dilemma. I think that the film that I've picked would possibly be seen more as a oh it's a good weepy film and all and like Yes. But because we I, I picked it for a moral dilemma, I had to put up with you all the way through going this makes me so angry. Oh my God, why are they doing this? This is so infuriating. Yeah. And you just got really stressed. I did. And we'll get into that. Um, but what films have we chosen this week? So I've chosen 1957 film. Um, Stanley Kubrick's, what's probably considered his first masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, with the anti-war film, Paths of Glory. Yep. And what have you chose? I picked the 2005, 2009 uh, Nick Cassavetti's film, My Sister's Keeper. Yes. 
starring Cameron Diaz and Abigail Breslin to name yes. a few. Alec Baldwin as well turns Alec up. Baldwin, Joan Cusack. Yes. There's yes. a huge amount of famous people in this film and people that you look at and go, I know that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we might as well just get right into it. Do we have any housekeeping or anything? No housekeeping. We're no. all up to date. Um, though next week it will probably be just you on your bill if you decide to do it. Yeah, I'll have to have a think and think what I'm going to do. Um, you're away with work, so you're unable to record. Yes, I am at Spring Fair. So there's either going to be a bonus episode next week or no episode next week. I haven't really decided yet. Depends <laughs> on my energy levels and my, um, if I have any, what's the word? Motivation. That's that, that again, your motivation to You're do gonna it. You're going to be a single cat dad. I know. We're going to have to fill up the freezer with like steak and ready meals for you. <laughs> and uh, I'm such a cliche. You are a cliche, but we love you for it. <laughs> so should we start? We'll get going. So we're going to start with your film, My Sister's Keeper. Yes. What is that? Petition for medical emancipation by... What does that mean? Ability to make all future medical decisions independent of her parents, not to be forced to submit medical treatment, including not limited to donating or giving. Anna, what is this? Is this from you? Yeah, I got a lawyer. You're suing us? Oh, honey, what the, what the hell is going on? I don't want to do it anymore, Mom. You don't want to do it anymore? That's it? You don't want to do it? No. Well, guess what? Neither do I, and neither does Kate. No. But it's not like we have a choice in this. But that's the thing. I do. I do have a choice. Really? Is that so? Yeah. That's your sister. Have you forgotten that? No. Do you know what's going to happen to her if you do this? Believe it or not, Mom, I actually thought about it. Sarah. Okay. So the 2009 My Sister's Keeper is based on the incredibly popular um, book by Jodie Picoult of the same name. It's basically about a young girl called Anna. And her older sister, Kate, has leukemia and Anna is, she's a designer baby. She's like a test tube baby designed to be a perfect match to Kate. So she is a donor baby. Mm. So she is seeking a lawyer's help to uh, help her earn medical emancipation from her parents because they are trying to force her to donate organs more blood and tissue to help Kate, to help her live. Yeah, longer. Well, live longer, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, And this kind of... I wrote down so many, like, difficult questions that this film asks. So, let me find them. Is it right to have a donor child? Um, Should people have the right to die if they're really suffering? Yeah. At what point should you let somebody die? Could you refuse a loved one treatment even though you know you know it will kill them? And should you force, well in this case a child, but anybody to take part in medical procedures? And it's so difficult because you, you watch... I watched this film years ago. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's sad and it's there and it's, you know, it's upsetting... But they, they, I feel like they set it up very well to really tug on the heartstrings. Like it opens and it's a full montage of like family videos and history. And it's to set up the relationships. It's to show 
this is a lovely, happy family and something terrible struck down to them. So it's all already going, oh, this is really bad. This is awful. And then you get into it and you realise it's just a whole, it, it's false. It's not a happy family. Yeah. Um, they're literally held to ke- held together by just trying to keep Kate alive. Yeah. Um, at the point that we meet them in the family, meet them in the film, sorry, th- there's not really anything. Nobody's happy. No, and I think it's it's one of the film things the film actually does well. I mean, some some of the stuff that it doesn't, but one of the one of the things that he actually does show is the strain that a situation like this can have on a family mm-hmm. it's because the individual goal the individual sort of driving force of a family is only one thing and when that one thing generally say, ends that's when the family disappears yes. because they have it doesn't feel like they have a purpose anymore no. whereas i mean after the film finishes and after like um I mean, it's not a spoiler, but when Kate dies, it that doesn't seem to happen, which is, which is quite nice. But yeah. generally, I would say that is what happens. It's like what the, the, the divorce rate after, say, a child has died is very, very high because the emotional ringing that, that happens through it, it's always going to be there. It's always always going to have that sort of pull. Mm-hmm. But the questions that you, you put up there, I think they are important questions, but I don't know if it's just because I'm a very stubborn and opinionated person but for me they have yes they're heavy but i think they're quite the, the answers for me are quite simple so do you, want, do you want to ask them again i'll give you my take on them i also want to say i feel like they're hard questions yeah. in this context because of how the film is styled yes it's styled in a very emotional way so you feel for all the parties mm. i feel like your answers are going to be very black and white yeah, yeah, yeah because like me you're a little bit dead inside and <laughs> <laughs> and she's not happy with that apparently no <laughs> okay is it right to have a donor child no 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 I hated the idea. Like, even the doctor says in it, it's it's illegal. I should, off the record, I shouldn't be saying this. I think I actually wrote down the actual quote that he says. And it's, off the record, have another child. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, my, my thoughts about that is the fact that even that entire situation says that you're putting one child above the other. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, again... I think morally wrong. Oh, horribly wrong. So therefore, it's like okay, one's basically just there as a meat, and the thing is, and um, there's a book, a famous book, and it's it's a good movie as well called Never Let Me Go, Mm -hmm. and it sort of brings this up. So Never Let Me Go is a a British boarding school in this sort of um, alternate future Mm -hmm. or alternate past, really, Um, and it's a sort of all these young kids. However, what you find out throughout the oh, film is that they're, yes. they're, they're, they're clones and people have paid mm-hmm. for them to be reared so when time comes, they can give them their organs and then future yep. die. So it, that brings up all these sort of questions as well. But do you want to carry on? Um, at what point do you let someone die? <sighs> when the quality of life gets too hard. Where they, yeah. it's the definition of what what is a life, is a life existing, 
or is a life actually being able to be lived? Because the thing is, like, they do do quite a lot. Kate still goes out. She, like, last year she went to prom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the hospital one. She still has a life, but, like... But at the end, it's got so hard that... Yeah. And, and, and the same for Anna. Like, if she donates his kidney... She can't do stuff that she wants. Mm. They, uh, they say like she can't play football. She can't, she can't do cheerleading. Yeah. Um, her aunt even just goes, "Well, yeah, you can't drink either." It's like you're literally you've got sadly a child who is very very ill, who might not even survive the operation, mm. and a child that's perfectly healthy, and you want to reduce uh the the life expectancy of that child because as soon as you have that your life expectancy does go down yeah. um you want you want to um you know extend the life of kate but again it's, it's not going to cure there's no guarantee well, it's not going to no cure guarantee. her yeah yeah um should people have the right to die yes cuz that's the other thing you find out at the end of the film which again it's 11 years old if you haven't seen it yeah yeah it, it, yeah uh, Anna is suing for medical emancipation because Kate wants to die. She, Kate has told her mum, who is played by Cameron Diaz, called Sarah, that she wants to die so many times. And Sarah's just like, nope, I'm going to keep fighting for you. I'm going to get you the blood that you need and this that you need. And I'm going to, you're going to survive and you're going to be this. And it's literally her mum has no other life. Yeah. Her mum is, li- is just. I need to keep this child alive. Yeah. Nothing else matters. And even though Kate has said, I don't want to live anymore, her mum has ignored her wishes, so she feels that the only way that she can do it is to get her sister to say, no more. No more medical procedures. I don't want it anymore. Um, could you refuse a loved one treatment even though you know it will kill them? I think it depends on is is that operation going to cure them, mm-hmm. or is it going to just extend their life by a certain amount of time? Mm-hmm. And what is the situation? That's I think that's maybe a bit more of a yeah of a, a fuzzy one. Yeah, and the thing is, in this situation, they say several times there's no guarantee that yeah. Kate will even survive the operation because the cancer has literally ravaged her whole body. So. Why then put her under more suffering when she says that she doesn't want it? Yeah. Um. And this is going to be a no. Should you force a child slash person <laughs> to take part in a medical procedure? No. No. No, no, no. No, no. But the thing for me about this movie is what... So, so for me, it does what it doesn't do well mm-hmm. is... There is... In the first five, ten minutes... There's like five different people doing a voiceover. Yeah, it can get a little bit confusing. And it's 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 for me. It's, even though yeah, you understand who's speaking. It's just well, tell a point of view mm-hmm. instead of this is me, this is me. It just felt so disjointed, um, and it was just. I would rather again, like last um, we're talking about giving a perspective with the Ted Bundy one. Yes, you just t- take one perspective and run with it. If you want to do it through like Alec Baldwin. That'd be great. If you want to say it through Anna, mm-hmm. great. If you want to do it through Kate or the brother, brilliant. It just feels a little bit muddled and sometimes it's like, okay, well... I think it's trying to pack a lot in. It is. I think it's trying to get that... The idea of the what how it affects each member of the 
the mm-hmm. situation, but it just gets lost a little bit. And it's hard because if it's in a book format, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's easier to do that because then you'd have a chapter on Kate, a chapter on Anna, a chapter on their brother Jesse. Yeah. And it's much easier to sort of do that. I mean, like Game of Thrones does it amazingly yeah. well. They have a chapter for each different character. Yeah. And it moves the story along that way. But again, in the film, yeah, it does get a little bit muddled. Um, Another one for me, and we can get into this, but I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of her. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like Cameron Diaz is so not wrongly cast. Yes. Like, I don't know, it's some of the decisions that she makes, not her character, but her acting decisions. Like, this, I understand that she's frustrated with the situation but some of her communication with Anna is more I don't know teenage sort of mm-hmm. why are you doing this instead yeah. of like a wounded mother yeah and it's yeah some of those I didn't really get and like yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of Cameron Diaz but if you gave this to somebody like a, a Catherine Keener or even if you wanted to put John Cusack in that role, yeah, like swap roles. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think they they have like the more, better ability to show that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the early part of the film, and to be honest, through most of it until you see the flashbacks of of her doing things, like you hate that woman. Oh god, yeah, she just comes across awful. She comes across like the world's worst. Mother. She doesn't notice that. Her son has got um, dyslexia yeah. until it's too late to actually really help him a huge amount. And they so they send him away for a year? Yeah. And then he's just literally wandering around Hollywood late at night. Nobody notices that he's not there. Um, she never asks Anna if she wants to take part in these things. And it's pretty obvious that it just means just pulling Anna out of school whenever is necessary just to get her cut open. So it's like you don't obviously don't really care about her education. The only person you care about is Kate, and I understand like she's a mum, and she doesn't want to see her child suffering. But by focusing all of her attention on that one child, her other children are suffering just as much, just in different ways. Yeah, absolutely, and, that, and that's for me. That's it. It's you paint that character as such a villain mm-hmm. that when you do get the flashbacks of her being a good mother, mm-hmm. it's sort of tainted by what you know is going to come. Yeah. And yes, you can relate to the idea of her being in that situation and not wanting <clears throat> to give up and things like that, but you've got to have a bit of empathy with it. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, like you said, it, like she plays it, she's so angry. Yeah. All of the time. And I, I get that. I get that she's so angry at the situation but she's just so angry at everybody that when you've got to show her empathy it's like I don't want to because you're just a nasty person absolutely and yeah it's one of those things where I wanted more for example in the courtroom I wanted to see more about Mm -hmm. that that being argued out because you've got these massive big moral ideas so let's see how they're tackled in it in that environment yeah um but but it does again. But it's but it's sort of Kate's story as well. So you do get the bigger sort of twenty minute scene where she finds a boyfriend, falls in love, something happens, he yeah. dies, and it's like it it the structure of the film. You can 
when, when, you, when you're dealing with children dying it comes with a certain amount of emotional baggage anyhow oh, yeah so it comes with the the feeling that you're going to get there and you're going to be emotional however there's also been having that and also trying to push it a little bit too hard and say okay you are going to cry at this yeah because um i didn't cry no neither did i and we joked about how yeah we'll need to drink lots of fluids because we're going to cry them all out and everything and we just we didn't no um but yeah it's just it's a hard it's it's a hard moral dilemma because i think at the same time it's something that we have not experienced personally Mm. and we've not experienced it in any form in our families so no absolutely it it is hard to empathize with someone when you haven't been through that situation mm -hmm. but it's just the way that She's presented, it's like, I could never see anybody getting to that point where they are so um, myopic in their sort of view, where they completely forget everybody else. Like, they they all cry when they go to the beach, and you can see the father doing something really nice for her, and the father knows she's going to die. I think Mm -hmm. it's... Oh, yeah, it's also a story about coming to terms with the situation. Like, she's seeing no... Like, you try and get into the brain brain space of her and thinking what does she think is going to happen yeah exactly Did, is, is it going to be another month and she thinks it's going to be another three years and does she think she's going to finally get they're f- all clear they're all clear where the father i think he understands yeah he can he's like she's not going to get any better i think he kind of gets that she, i feel like he maybe understands that she maybe doesn't want to get better mm. now because he still he, he does come and say you know she he's, she said she wants to die so many times. And you've just ignored her. Yeah. Um, I think he just wants... He wants to make memories and give her the nicest final days that he could. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I actually wrote down like my favourite quote from it, which I think is really good. And it's um, where the dad and the mum are talking about Anna um, suing them. And he says, we went against nature. Is this our comeuppance? Yeah. And I just think that it's a really powerful quote because he doesn't say a huge amount no, no, no. About, throughout the whole thing. But it pretty much sums up the whole situation. I feel very, very well. Yeah, it does. And again, one of those things with voiceovers for me is when a voiceover is used well, it can be used well to get into the psyche of a character mm-hmm. however in this sort of set, setting it just feels lazy it's like i'm like show me don't tell me it's too lifted from the book yeah you can see people use the reciting passages from the book mm-hmm. um but no is that everything do you have any fun facts i don't have any fun facts about this <laughs> about <laughs> cancer-ridden children about cancer-ridden children and people dying and chopping healthy children open no, I don't have any... I didn't feel like it was a fun fact. <laughs> no problem. A fun fact, appropriate film. So we'll take a break then. We'll come back with my film, Passive Glory. Are you a craft beer junkie? Do you eagerly anticipate the freshest IPA release from your local craft brewer? Do you check in every beer you've ever had on Untapped? Do you know the difference between a Belgian triple and a Berliner Weisse? Then do we have a podcast for you. What's on Tap podcast gives you beer reviews, 
interviews with brewers, behind the scenes access to beer festivals, games, and more. Whether you're a craft beer junkie or new to the world of craft brewing, What's on Tap podcast is something for you. Check us out online, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and now we are podsyndicate.com. And as always, keep drinking, you dum-dums. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies over many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f- would you like some coffee, Colonel? Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, by the way, Paul, it's been brought to my attention that you ordered your artillery to fire on your own men during the attack on the anthill. I did what? Who told you that? Well, Colonel Dax came to me last night with a story. Colonel Dax, I've always known that you were a disloyal officer. But I never dreamed that you would stoop to anything so low as this. General, I've sworn statements from Captain Nichols, your artillery spotter. Captain Rousseau, the battery commander who refused your order. I think it's infamous. Absolutely infamous. Then there's no truth at all in the charge made by Colonel Dice. <laughs> I don't see how you could even ask me that. You cannot imagine how glad I am to hear that, Paul. I'm certain that you'll come through it all right. I'll come through what? There'll have to be an inquiry. An inquiry? But it won't amount to much. Those things never do. The public forgets. Public? You've got to have the right to clear your name. You cannot allow such violent insinuations against your character to go undenied. So that's it. You're making me the goat. The only completely innocent man in this whole affair. So then, Paths of Glory, a 1957 film directed by Stanley Kubrick. And this is just coming coming off right off the killing, um, which starred Sterling Hayden. And this is his first sort of departure into I mean, the killing and um, his previous were for, sort of just very, very good noir movies. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, yes, it's a war movie, but it has so much more going on for it. Like the message and the fact that it's an anti-war film as yeah. well. Um, you've got that on it. So it takes place um, during... World War One, and yeah, we start um, in a scene where General Brulard um, comes in to General Moreau's office, mm-hmm. and they discuss the attack of a German stronghold called the Antill, um, and they want to take this this stronghold very quickly. Now, the original thought of um, General Moreau is that it's impossible that yeah. they can't do it. However, and um, when his superior tells him that there's a opportunity to progress his career and get another star, and and get this acclaim, he changes his opinion on the on the matter and orders the taking of the anthill. Yes. Now, lots more things happen in this movie, and the thing is, lots more happen in this movie. It's still only eighty four minutes long. Yes. So what it is, this is uh, an impossible task to take this to take this. Um, stru- yeah, to take the Ant Hill, and they fail. Now, some of the because of the, the the German fire is just too too strong. Now, some of them attempt it, 
and come back. And there's one regiment there who, because of the um, how bad it is, don't even get out the trenches. Yeah. Now, because it's embarrassing to Moreau, he then decides to court-martial um, three of um, the soldiers, one from each regiment, co- regiment yeah. and try them for cowardice mm-hmm. um, under pain of death. And that's round about the movie. The, yeah. the, the, the three of the people who's chosen are um, represented by um, Colonel Dax, who's played by Kirk Douglas. Yes. Who is the lead of the movie. Mm-hmm. And we get to understand the the horror of the human running of war, I believe, really. Because mm-hmm. um, when, you, when you watch war movies, they, they can be patriotic, they can be very uplifting of you taking down the enemy, yeah. um, the evil forces. However, you see that sometimes decisions are made not for the greater good, no, but for ego. Selfish reasons. And for selfish reasons. So... As I said at the start of the film, this was the first film that I think was considered a masterpiece from um, Stanley Kubrick. And yeah, it's it's one of those arguments where he, in his later career, he is very much a technical director. Mm-hmm. He's very stylish and also he actually made quite long movies as well. But yeah, he's... He's a form pusher, so he always used to push the form of cinema. Yeah. But this is very, very laid back. Yeah. Um, stylistically... It was good. Yeah, and stylistically and with the the strength of the message at heart as well mm-hmm. because there's a huge, strong anti-war. And the moral dilemma that is in this is basically should you, do, should you follow orders when you know those orders are wrong and that are going to cause either you harm or death? Yeah. Or even your men harm or death. Or even your men harm or death. Um, and what we have is this moral sort of compass of um, Colonel Dax and Kirk Douglas there where who he follows orders, mm-hmm. goes over the top and retreats and understands that that could not be done. Um, yeah. And there's a few wonderful scenes, like the opening scene, the blocking of that scene where they're walking around the room but... The camera just sort of glides through them. Oh, it, yeah. It's for the time, yeah. It's it's a glorious scene. But then you've got the, a famous scene in the movie where, when they go over the top and they're gonna go, they're going over no man's land, mm-hmm. and that is just it shows the chaos and the brutality of it. Like yeah. we've just came, we watched last week. We watched nineteen seventeen. Yeah. So, which mm-hmm. is brilliantly stylish. It has all those things, but. Like the the scene where he the clambering and falling down all these sort of holes, I, th- I just feel like that nine minute scene showed the the horror of that war more than the entirety of nineteen seventeen. I agree, and I think it might be because like this film is in black and white. Yes. Um. And I think that kind of added more to the horror of it. Yeah. Um. It's like, yeah, not seeing, being able to see yeah. the, the red of the blood, it, it just makes it a little bit more It's like when they're, when they're doing the, the night rena- rena- reconnaissance and then the flare goes up the, and you the, see all the dead bodies that you just don't see. see. And that's that's why I was actually about to bring that up. And like that is just so well done because it's... But it's you, like I said to you, how, how would they have even done any kind of night reconnaissance? There is 
no light out yeah. there. There is nothing. There is no fires. There is obviously it's in the middle of no man's land in 1916. There's obviously like not going to be any lights out. If you think of how dark it is, um, like if you go 10 minutes up the road to mm. the fields and you think of how dark it is at night time and how little you can see then. Imagine that, but a war zone. And then you just see like that fl- a flare going up and it briefly illuminating the absolute the horror and destruction all around you it, that, being uh, crawling through th- that's my favorite shot of the entire movie because you don't you don't see it when you're watching it you literally no. all, you, all you're thinking is all oh, it, it's mud it's mounds of earth and when the the flare lights up and there's so many bodies just strewn across yeah. the battlefield it's that shows the true horror of it all um but the thing about this movie as well is it, it can sometimes feel quite rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, things happen very quickly, like from the attack to the the trial, to the people being picked, to the execution. And although you could you can see that as a criticism, I, I, I don't. I see it as a strength because... That's how it probably would have been. That's exactly how it would have been. It would have been like, what what's happening? And before people actually t- have the time to actually think about what's happened, mm-hmm. it's already done. Yeah. The trial's done, fake, they're being killed. And then at that final scene, even the final line is, oh, let's, let's, let's go back to the front line. So this happens in a couple of days, if, yeah. if that. And it's, I think it's like maybe, what, two? Yeah. And it's, yeah, for me, it's um, General Moreau, could be seen as like one of the most evil characters oh, he's it, 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 in cinema. Like you, people talk about like these big sort of Darth Vader's and things like that, but like just the fact that he is completely oblivious to what he's doing, and he oh. thinks he's like, even at the end. He's like, "I'm <laughs> the only innocent person in this." And I don't know if that like, if he believes he's saying that himself mm-hmm. or he's just trying to cover his own back. But yeah, he. The fact that he's going to shoot on his own men to try and get them out the trenches. Yeah, but I, I, at the same time, I think, I think it asks another moral dilemma, which I don't, which you haven't picked up okay. on, but I think is very important. And I don't know if it's well, actually, no, I think it's still something that's relevant today. These men are going into war, and they are being ordered into war. By men who have no idea what it's actually like on that front line. Mm. So it's how can you send these men off into pretty much guaranteed death? Yeah. But you have no idea what it's like. And that's why, like, when they have the trial, Colonel Drax, um, Kurt Douglas, is really good because he has been there, he has seen it. He knew exactly what it was like trying to take the anthill because he was there and he tried and he realized. There is no way that we are going to do it. And that guy had a single little pistol. Everybody else around him had a rifle. He had a pistol and a goddamn whistle. And, and he you... had nothing else. And even he went, this is impossible. I need to get back. Otherwise, I am going to be killed here and now. And that's it. You do get the scene between the two generals when they're talking about losses. And they're talking about losses so nonchalantly. In percentages of like, yeah, maybe 60%. And it's just like... Those decisions that are made in, like in modern, in a boardroom, say, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, the it's seeing people as commodity instead of actual people. People, and then the 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 generals aren't there for when they go over the top. Like they are 
they're there, but they're a nice safe distance back. They're watching through binoculars and everything else. They aren't in the thick of it. I can understand... Well, no, actually, I don't, I don't understand why a superior officer wouldn't be leading people into battle. Mm. It's like, you have obviously gotten this far. You should be setting an example. But if they weren't able to, for some reason, you should at least be in the trenches like as the men are going over going I am literally behind you and I am here for you so whether you could see like the gunfire going over the heads of the guys who couldn't leave was constant there was no nobody would have got out there yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody would have and if they were there they would have gone nobody can get out that's it it's, it's a horrible idea of ego and thinking about yourself being, mm-hmm. yeah, being selfish but yeah in the, then you've even got like the scene where you got the sergeant and the private, and when they go on that reconnaissance, and mm-hmm. he kills the other guy because he's scared, yeah. and then chooses to cover. He like, there's so many different little um, pu- pushes <clears throat> and little own moral dilemmas mm-hmm. in there, and the fact that this guy again to cover his own back has chosen to kill someone, yeah. and even though Dax knows it because the the prisoner said so, nobody else does, and. Yes, he will have to live with that for the rest of his life, and he does apologize at the end of it. But it's like, in the end, he's just like, "Well, screw you." Yeah. Like, just. I hope you suffer. It's it's that idea of, and this is why I would never be able to be in any sort of armed forces. It's like the idea that the rank above you has so much more power than you, mm-hmm. and you can't challenge because of their rank. I, if somebody's got a stupid idea, I'm not going to do it. And that's what this really does personify. It, uh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, like, it, it's... Yeah, like, the when the gen- general's wandering around, he's rallying the troops, having really idle chit-chat, patronising them. And he's going, ready to kill some more Germans? Ready to kill some more Germans? He says the same conversation yeah. with every single man, except for one man. And he can't answer him. And his mate's like... Shell-shocked. Shell-shocked. And he goes... There's no such thing as shell shock. Yeah. And he's like, get him out because um, cowardice is um, catching. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it, infectious. It's infectious. And it's just like, to me, that is a man who, yes, has been in the army, but has been out of the front line for so long that he doesn't understand it anymore. And that's it. I think it, it shows... Obviously, this this is this is the French army as well. We I don't yes. think we mentioned that this isn't the British or anything like that. But this film was banned in France, was it? Um, for a little while, I think in the seventies. So therefore, they really didn't like the way it would they was presented. Now I don't know if it comes off from a true story or anything like that. But there are people who have been executed for cowardice and things like that in in a, 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 a war environment. I think every army's done it, and it's. Yeah, I don't like the thing is, put yourself in a war, put yourself in like in that situation where you bullets are going over and you have to look over the edge of something to see if you can if you can shoot. It's like it's a whole idea of like there's there were so many bullets um, wasted in the world wars because people would shoot above yeah the people because they didn't want to kill them yeah exactly and it's like yeah you train these people to try and be killed. But do you know what? Most of them probably aren't. They don't want to be where they are. No. Um, And 
again, as you, as you see, most of them are just kids. And well, I actually thought it was very interesting because I didn't feel a lot of them were kids. When you see the faces of them, of the men in the bar after, it, uh, yeah, it's uh, a big, uh, it's it's a wide range of ages. Now I am not great with World War One. I. I am better with World War Two sort of information, but I don't know if it was a case of they really needed people, so they just started taking on people of all ages. Because I know that obviously, like the Germans did that towards the end of World War Two, and there were old men and young men and women literally just fighting. Mm. Um, I don't know if at this point in World War One France was the same and they just had they had to just boost up the troops by taking on people but uh, I actually made a note of that because I thought it was really interesting <clears throat> so, uh, because more newer ones mm. show young men they show a lot more younger men whereas I feel like this might be more accurate maybe the French have a different sort of um, thing than those where we normally do go for Younger people, Maybe, yeah. which I'm, or or it could just be a cinematic choice because older people have more interesting faces to fill the shoot. But what what do you make out of final scene? Because it's been read in a few different ways. Because for me, it's it, it Dax has just seen like the worst side of war of the, of the people who are running running mm-hmm. it and being corrupt and. I think he has the ideal of the people who are fighting it are like the true souls. Now, when the, the guy who warns the bar brings out this German capture, this German little girl, mm-hmm. which is um, a, a young woman, um, and is poking fun of her, and all the soldiers in there are laughing and jeering and things like that. It, it's sort of showing the work. He's. I think beliefs are a bit stricken. It's like, okay, are everybody just like this? Are everybody just the worst kind of humanity? However, when she starts singing, it's like the universal sort of language of understanding. Mm-hmm. Like, because they don't understand the song because they can't sing it, but they understand the rhyme yeah. and they start humming it. And then a huge pathos comes across the entire crowd. And it's like, what are they are they thinking about their young ones or their families or what what would they want if their if their daughters were captured and put in front of soldiers yeah i think from a female perspective it's very difficult to watch when she first comes out yeah because you don't know what they're going to do to her and as well you've got to think about this is a time of very toxic masculinity women are seen as being second class citizens all over the world. Yeah. Um, and they're also, they out of war, there are no women. They probably haven't seen a woman for a long time. Mm. Um, and she's very beautiful. And they're just going to be like, yeah, be lads, 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 lads. And jeer and make rude jokes and do all that. But yeah, like you said, when, she, when she's singing, um, she does sing very beautifully. And it, I think it is more of a case of... You can see how upset she is and you can hear the emotion in her voice when she is singing, even though you may not be able to understand it. Um, And I think it does start to get through because then it's a case of 
these men have only been around anger and fear yeah. as an emotion. They aren't around anything else. And if you're only around emotions like that, then that is how you're going to react. You're only going to feel that. Mm. I feel like the way that when she starts singing, it starts tapping into their more human aspects and starts bringing them back. And they they get emotional because the song could bring back memories of loved ones, of happiness, of everything else. Everything that they've had to subdue because I don't believe that if you were in that kind of war and in that kind of horrific environment, you can be 100% human. Mm. You have to block out everything else just to get through the day. It's like when we saw that interview with that guy last night on the on the Netflix show. Yeah, yeah. And he said the PTSD that he had in Iraq meant that he could get through each day. Yeah. And it wasn't until he came back to, I don't want to say civilization, but like a bog standard normal life, that that's when it started causing him problems because that's not how normal people cope yes. with real life. I think... Their PTSD is helping them get through the day. This is a look back onto their real life. And then that's when how they've been acting and how they've been basically running is causing the problem because they realise that they can't cope with all these other emotions coming back. Oh, that's a great reading. Thank you. I think, to be honest, I think we're done. Yeah, I, I really like this film. It Good. was um, the first time I'd seen it. Yeah. It was the first time that you'd seen My Sister's Keeper. It was, it was. So it was a good first viewing for the people. Yeah, so if you want to get some heavy-hitting, moral dilemma-fueled films, uh, Passive Glory and My Sister's Keeper are probably two good choices for that. Yes, you know, because that's what you want <laughs> on a Monday. <laughs> moral dilemmas. I know what my moral dilemma would be like, oh God, do I have to get up and go to work today? Yes. It's going to be so busy. <laughs> But no, I think that's another episode for us. And I say, well, well, if I organise something, I'll do something next week. If not, then I do apologise. But we'll be back the week after. Normal um, schedule. Might not be. Oh, you're away again. Yeah, I'm in Birmingham next week. And then I go to Frankfurt. Yes. We'll figure something out. We'll work something out. We will work something out. But no, I, I might think... just watch something in my hotel room and send you going, watch this, it's really good. Yes. Don't watch this. It was awful. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's it. Again, follow us on all our social medias. Apple Podcast reviews and ratings will be very, very appreciated. Go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and read the stuff, yes. watch the stuff, listen to the stuff. It get will involved. be Get involved, as I like to say. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.